0: My name is Alec Crawford, and this is Stay, a podcast about sustainability, technology, artificial intelligence, and how they impact you at home, at work, and around the world. I am discussing these topics with high-profile guests to give you important information that goes much deeper than other sources. Find out answers to questions like, can artificial intelligence save the planet? And how does ESG investing affect you? We can build a better, sustainable future together. I'd like to welcome Patrick Banger to the show. Patrick was named one of the top 10 influential leaders in artificial intelligence and big data by CIO Look Magazine. He is vice president for strategic business for Samsung in San Jose, California, and that includes their artificial intelligence effort. Welcome, Patrick.
1: Thank you, Alec, great to be here.
0: So Patrick, let's start uh, by, by talking about your career. Can you tell me about your career journey how you got where you are today, and where you are heading next.
1: So I was always interested in how the world works, um, so I ended up taking a physics degree. Uh, Doing experiments didn't agree with me, so I went on to mathematics, um, and uh, that turned out to largely be artificial intelligence for me. Uh, So I got into neural networks and such uh, back in the 1990s uh, when there was still an AI winter going on, Uh, And I've been in the field ever since. I I was a professor for applied mathematics for a while. I had my own startup company for a while. And uh, the last three years, I worked for Samsung um, as their vice president for artificial intelligence and recently uh, progressed to be VP of strategy.
0: Awesome. That's great. And how can business people use artificial intelligence to improve their processes and outcomes, do you think?
1: Yeah. So the first thing uh, to be aware of the hype. Um, there's a great deal of hype around artificial intelligence. Um, so throw a bucket load of salt on that. Um, but what you should then start to think about is what you want to achieve, not what the AI people have, but what you want to do with it. Um, and AI is good primarily at automating things. Uh, So if you have some process, whether it is a physical process or a human process or a communications process, uh, AI could help to automate that, but you need to think whether or not you are able to receive that automation. So the, the thing prior to and the thing after that automation piece, they have to be able to provide the information or receive the information from the AI to do something useful with that. Um, So in many cases, that is not the case. And that means you may first have to re-engineer your process in the company to be capable of introducing AI as a second step. Um, And then what what you gain from AI, well, you gain this automation, right? The automation has a couple of, uh, you know, business functionalities. It can do things faster than humans. Um, it can do things quote unquote at scale um, and what, what what that basically means is that you can do more of something using only a single resource a single AI model running on a single server in the cloud might be able to uh, replace uh, you know several pieces of physical hardware or several pieces of, of, of human resources uh, running a process right so it scales faster uh, per unit of work done than human resources or physical resources might have scaled previously. Uh, and, and that's where the financial benefit comes in. Um, however, um, AI is typically not very fault tolerant. Um, so if you have a lot of the quote-unquote normal case, AI is great. Um, If you have a significant number of non-normal cases that are exceptional in different ways, then AI is going to hurt you, um, if it hasn't been trained properly. And this is where, of course, humans have to stay in the loop, generally speaking, because humans are fantastic at dealing with non-normal situations. They can think on their feet, they can adapt, they can think of, you know, off-the-cuff, out-of-the-box solutions, AI is not very good at out-of-the-box solutions. It will repetitively do something. um, And so you just have to be aware that even though the accuracies of AI models are high, 98, 99%, whatever, you have to ask yourself, and this is the prime question, how badly is the 1% gonna hurt me when AI doesn't get it right? Um, And in some cases, that's not really relevant um because the 1% is, is not so bad um but in other cases uh, for example you know healthcare or autonomous driving or what not the 1% could lead to your death um and then you have to put a calculus on that so to long winded answer to the question is think of the use case and evaluate your risks and um, that that that's really what it comes down to
0: so re-engineering, how could we as leaders prepare our firms and employees for the adoption of artificial intelligence?
1: Yeah, very important uh, question. And as, as I mentioned, you have to look at your processes and carefully think of the handover points, the handover from your process to the AI, and then the handover points of receiving the AI's result and, and doing something with that those two handover points have to be very carefully thought through um, defined, and defined and by defined I mean that in software terms, right, you have to define those interfaces in terms of actual functioning software um, so that this this process can, can work. And at that point, uh, now you've got something. So take your complex process in your company, break it up into pieces, um, define the interfaces between those pieces and then you can replace one or two of those pieces with an AI.
0: Great. So, switching gears and going back in time, what was the first computer language you learned and what do you use now? Mine was basic in 1979.
1: Um, I learned Fortran 77.
0: Wow. Yeah, um, I, I learned a little Fortran in my first job, but that was not fun, i got to say. And what, are you using anything now, or is it mostly just lots of people reporting to you writing code?
1: Um, I get to manage, um, but nowadays, of course, the programming language of choice for us AI people is Python.
0: Yeah, Python is awesome, and there are all kinds of different flavors and wrappers and uh, things like that, like Anaconda. So we'll talk about that in a future podcast, maybe. Nevertheless, we can't have this interview without talking about ChatGPT, uh, especially with the release of ChatGPT4. So any thoughts there, observations?
1: Yeah, I'm just flabbergasted at the, the current situation and the hype around that. Um, so what, what is it? Uh, um, it's basically a conversation engine. You ask it for something um, in text and you get a text answer back. Um, the text answer back might be quite lengthy, right? You, you can, you can, for example, ask it to write you an essay about something. Uh, you can ask it to write source code in Python, you know, to solve a certain problem. And you'll get an answer back. Um, the answer will sound at first hearing very nice. Um, relative to chat robots in the past, the output is grammatically accurate. It uh, flows nicely. It it, has nice diction. It gets its tenses right. It gets the verbs right. Um, The sentences are good. Where it starts to break down is the factual content uh, of what it tells you. Um, That is largely wrong. Um, It's not grammatically wrong. It's not structurally wrong. It's not English-wise wrong. It is factually incorrect. It is just not right. Um, So for example, if you ask it to review the uh, the annual financial statement of a company, it may very well, and has done in, in the past couple of weeks, invent the numbers. It will present you an analysis that sounds absolutely spotless and reasonable, but the numbers will be made up. The numbers are not from the financial statement of the actual company. The numbers are just numbers. Uh, So can you trust the final answer? Well, no, you can't. And if you ask it factual questions about something, so let's take an an example. I'm interested in buying a car. Uh, I go to ChatGPT and I ask it for advice, you know, this car model versus that car model, and it, it it compares the gas mileage and, you know, the insurance premium and whatnot. Can I trust? No. It will tell me certain numbers, but I'm going to have to you know, fact check and verify whether that is fake news uh, or in fact the truth. And so, what can I use ChatGPT for? Um, I can use it to write poems. It does a fantastic job at that. I could never compete. Um, I can use it to write a high school book report. Great for that, teachers. Beware, you're going to have to assign different types of homework. And um, I can use it to write an essay for my business school class, which it has done, and it does a great job of that. Um, I can use it to write, you know, letters to my friends. Uh, I can use it as an email engine. But again, if you expect it to write text about something involving factual information and you expect it to get those things right, uh, you can't use it, you cannot.
0: so, So Patrick, how do we increase transparency, not just for chat GPT, but more broadly around how artificial intelligence systems come up with answers, or what some people call
1: XAI? That is a very, very important question. So currently we have two big research topics uh, in in AI as a scientific discipline, and and those are ethical AI and explainable AI. So explainable AI um, has has two flavors. Um, One flavor is to explain to people how the model works in generality, and the other flavor is how to explain the specific single answer that I just gave with the model based on a specific input. Um, so let, let's give an example. Um, I'm going to apply for a bank loan. And I submit my my data, and the answer is no, you've been rejected. Explainable AI would now ask, why have I, with my specific data in this particular instance, been rejected? And then it tells me, well, your credit history is just not long enough. Boom. That is useful to me, because I now know why I've been rejected, and and it's it's operational, because I can go fix it. Um, In in, in this instance, I'm just going to have to wait a couple years. Um, In general, I, now not being Patrick the individual, but I might now be the regulator, the government. I might be interested in how the model works in generality. And so explainable AI would now tell me, oh, this is, you know, this is a neural network that takes into account, you know, the length of the credit history and the, uh, you know, the, the, the number of financial institutions that have submitted a review of this particular um, individual, and so on and so forth, and they are weighted in a certain way, and we have criteria X, Y, and Z, and we have trained this on such and such a database and whatnot, explaining how that model came came to be. Those are two very different types of explainability. Um, Currently, um, that either or um, are the case only in very, very isolated cases, typically the cases where a government regulator demands, um, by fear of punishment, that these explainability things happen. Um, In most other cases, the explainability is something that is being researched, um, by, you know, university-based uh, researchers, um, it has not really taken off very much at commercial companies, um, because of course the the incentives are not yet lined up. Right? Why should a company invest um, its resources into developing explanations that um, nobody is going to pay for?
0: That totally makes sense. Well, as soon as you say words like government and credit scores and finance, I think about information security, right? And how do you think about that differently for artificial intelligence systems versus other software and data?
1: I don't. Um, I think uh, information security and information privacy has uh, nothing to do with AI. Uh, they need to be in place. They're absolutely essential no matter how that data is transformed. All right? Whether you do just simple storage of data or you do business analytics or you do business intelligence or big data or artificial intel, any of these kinds of methodologies, you need to make sure that you have the data secured and, and privatized.
0: Yeah, um, I would note that chat gpt is not doing that right they basically warn you at the start like we're going to use your data so don't put anything in confidential so yeah that's a very good point
1: point. and, and to, to that point most of the software tools that you use every day are of that kind right because the companies are supplying you a service free of charge right think google think facebook Um, you're getting something that's free of charge it's not free of charge you're paying for it uh, you're just not paying for it with dollars you're paying for it with your behavioral data that data is your payment for the service and the company does receive it does store it and uses it to make money
0: absolutely so uh... we talked about python earlier but for a college student besides python what should they learn about to get into artificial intelligence
1: right so um, I am a very, very strong advocate of being an expert in something. Um, You can then, later, become a generalist uh, about all sorts of other topics. Um, But my advice to everyone, uh, whether you are an AI person or not, is become a specialist at something first. Um, So if AI interests you as a career, um, specialize in AI and learn about AI. And that involves... Mathematics, AI is a is a subdiscipline of mathematics. Um, don't mistake it for a subdiscipline of computer science. It is not. Um, it is mathematics. Um, computer science is merely the shape that it takes once you have understood AI and are going to uh, program AI for for a computer. Um, And most of that's been been taken care of for you um, by libraries such as PyTorch um, that, that you can use. The catch is that in order to use these libraries properly, you need to understand the underlying algorithms. You no longer need to code up the algorithms, but you need to understand how they work in order to use the previously coded up libraries. That's why I'm saying it's a discipline of mathematics. And so what you ought to do is um, study it from, from that angle. So you can either get a mathematics degree or you can get a combination of a computer science and a mathematics degree and focus on the AI-relevant uh, areas w- within, within those two larger disciplines and emerge, hopefully, with a strong understanding of how these different algorithms actually work, again, you don't need to code them up. That's done for you. But uh, they receive a large number of so-called parameters uh, or hyperparameters that you need to set. And if you don't know how these things work, you can't do that. And then you're, you're practically uh, disabled uh, in, in, in actually applying these methods.
0: Oh, great advice. So speaking of careers, we are seeing wave after wave of layoffs at the big technology companies. What's your take on that?
1: Yeah, that was uh, pretty much a foregone conclusion. Um, so what happened from my perspective um, is that a number of the companies here in, in Silicon Valley um, over the last, uh, not, not just two years, that, that's, uh, that's a hyping statement, over the last 10 years at least, they have started a number of projects that I refer to as hobbies. Um, They are hobbies for the important reason that these projects were never intended to earn money, never would earn money, and we discovered over the last 10 years, lo and behold, they did not make money. Um, And so at some point, and this happened uh, about six months ago, these companies decided that they were going to call their own bluff um, and stop all of these non-money-making projects. Um, and Meta started, but the other companies very quickly followed suit and um, a number of people got, got laid off. It's, uh, it's currently in the Silicon Valley, um, approximately, in, in, in my personal estimate, around 400,000 um, people in the Silicon Valley. Right, We're talking about a very small geographical area that have been laid off. So there's, there's blood in the streets. It's, it's a really, really bad situation for those people. But the reality is that the projects they were working on uh, were never commercial projects. And what are this? Uh, they are largely everything related to the metaverse. Um, these are cryptocurrencies, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, the hardware associated with those topics. Um, then it, you you have all of the metaverse uh, implementations. You have um, The the various pieces were needed for the ownership of goods, uh, such as blockchain technologies, um, and so on and so forth. All of this has been removed from the market. So where companies a year ago used to say that that, that the metaverse is the the big future, and it's going to happen very soon, two years from now, and you're going to live your life in the metaverse, um, guess what, guys? The metaverse has been canceled.
0: Right, this sounds like the, the Palm Pilot moment for the Metaverse, and they're waiting for their iPhone moment, which may not be for a long time.
1: That's right. I, I remember um, Second Life. Uh, I don't know who, who else old enough in the tech industry to remember a Second Life, um, but that was the attempt uh, at doing Metaverse 15 years ago, and, and that failed for the exact same reason. So um, yeah, I, I think this is a pipe dream.
0: So. So speaking about dreams, what are some possible applications of artificial intelligence 10 years from now that other people may not even have imagined yet but you're thinking about?
1: Right, so there's a big uh, discussion, and I I emphasize it's a discussion, it's not a technical reality, um, around artificial general intelligence. Um, And that would be uh, an AI system, piece of software, that has roughly the same sort of intelligence and capability to a human being. Um, and I would just pause, please, to try to put that into perspective in your mind what you as a human being can do. Um, for instance, you can drive a car after about. 15 to 20 hours of instruction and practice um, without causing an accident, while listening to music, while talking to your passengers, while thinking about the next business meeting that you're going to have. Can um, a computer program do that? No. It has taken billions of dollars, many billions of dollars, and by now about 15 years, uh, no, no, about 20 years, of very serious, dedicated effort by tens of thousands of people around the world to try to construct uh, an AI that drives a car. Again, something that you can do within 15 to 20 hours of instruction, um, and we are not there yet. Um, we are there yet in a, in, a, in a scenario where you have beautiful roads uh, with lane markings and, and so on and so forth. Um, but as soon as you get on a dirt road, these systems are lost. Um, so that is the current capability. So all of these thoughts around artificial general intelligence are computers competing with, with humans. No, not by a long shot. And in fact, not only do these commercial systems not exist yet, um, as a theoretical discipline, as as a research science topic, artificial intelligence does not know how to do that. Um, So when I said ChatGPT doesn't give you factually correct answers, there's a reason for that. It's not because it hasn't been trained properly or something. Um, It's because we as AI scientists have no idea, literally, how to represent conceptual understanding of the world in an AI system. Um, all the Chat GPT type models do is look at patterns in text. Uh, they have an input pattern and they provide an output pattern and they've studied basically everything that humanity has ever written. Um, and so the output sounds pretty cool, but understanding of how the world works. Has not been supplied, and it might come as a surprise to you, having read books and such, that understanding of the world cannot be communicated in text alone, and that's the biggest proof point of these these models right they they provide you great text but not understanding of the world they haven't they haven't got it um, and so uh, that as a as a context I think this kind of AI system that can do many great things and a- adjust to uncertainty that is not going to happen anytime soon. Um, what we have today is what we call narrow AI, which is AI systems that do something extremely specific um, that we have and that we're continuing to build out and that you will see in the next few years. So what are some examples that you will see in the next five to ten years um, as an individual <clears throat> you will see autonomous driving um, that you will be able to buy to some extent you can buy it today already right within the the the, the limits of having a reasonably built out road infrastructure you can buy it today it'll become more ubiquitous in the next few years you will see healthcare AI that is to say Um, AI systems that will take your medical image and can, with a higher accuracy than your uh, your human doctor, diagnose you with all sorts of conditions. They can count your kidney stones. They can detect cancers um, and so on and so forth, much more automatic and much faster uh, than than the human process can today. And there there are multiple advantages to that. For example, starting your treatment several weeks earlier than you can today. So it'll literally save your life. AI will save your life in in a few years from now, in in that regard. Um, AI can take away um, all sorts of repetitive tasks for you. Um, But the digital personal assistant that everybody's been talking about for 10 years, for example, is not yet a reality. Um, I very much hope that it will become a reality within ten years from today, but that is really, uh, in terms of capability, the outer edge of the limit. right? If I have an AI system that can do things like arrange meetings and, and, and book tickets um, and things like that on, on my behalf, and do it accurately, please. right? Actually accomplish it from end to end, including the selecting and the booking and the purchasing and the paying and so on and not making a mistake about that, that would be the digital assistant that that I would want, but the complexities to get there are still very significant. So if we accomplish that in 10 years' time, I will be very, very impressed. Um, but this kind of human replacing AI that is, if it ever happens, it's beyond my lifetime.
0: Yeah, really interesting. I think uh, there are a couple of books about uh, artificial general intelligence, and obviously Elon Musk is pretty worried about it, and Ray Kurzweil's been uh, writing about that for a while. He called, I think, uh, the the term the singularity was coined. Um, It was interesting. I I think that uh, part of what you're saying uh, might be that the Turing test... Maybe the wrong test for AGI. If you could maybe explain to the audience what the Turing test is, and because I I think it's possible that ChatGPT, uh, maybe even the current version, could pass the Turing tests. But let's uh, once you explain that to the audience, and we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit about that.
1: ChatGPT fails the Turing test immediately on the first question.
0: Wow! Um, what was the first question?
1: Uh, so I'll I'll get to uh, a number of things. So. Um, for example, if you ask chat GPT who was the first female president of the United States, the answer is Hillary Clinton. Now, the, the phrase Hillary Clinton and the phrase first female president of the United States were used in conjunction a great deal. So if you detect patterns in text, that's what you come to. Now, there's the slight hiccup of having to have an election. Uh, that is a causality mechanism that requires understanding of how the U.S. government works. But ChatGPT doesn't have that. It looks at patterns in text. Um, so uh, you can very quickly, if you intend to find out if your, uh, you know, conversation partner is a computer or a human being, that's the Turing test, right? You, you're talking to something and you're trying to determine whether it's a human or a computer. Uh, by asking questions and getting answers, you can do that with ChatGPT very rapidly. If your intention is to identify it as a computer program, you can do that very quickly by asking factual questions and observing that you get the wrong answer.
0: Yeah, good um, point.
1: Uh, and so it will fail the Turing test. It, it's not helpful in that regard. And to get to a general intelligence, you need to do several things that we don't understand yet to do. As, a, as I said, as a scientific discipline, we don't even know how to do that, let alone actually doing it. And that's the second piece. You need to understand how artificial intelligence work is actually done, aka financed, today, um, to understand why we're not going to get there anytime soon. Um, all of the institutions that are doing AI work today um, are essentially funded by Silicon Valley profits um, and, of course, by the biggest funder of technology development ever in the history of mankind, which is the military. It's always been the military. Um, and so what people look for is systems that work in the short term, that, that do something useful, yeah? as I said, militarily useful or Silicon Valley profits useful in the short term, and AGI is not one of those things. Um, We are looking for narrow AI systems that do something specific really well. Um, The the thing that ChatGPT does really well is search. And that's of course why the companies who have a big stake in search, aka Microsoft or Google and, and so on, have invested heavily into developing a system like this, Please understand, their intention was never to come up with a general intelligence. Their intention was to come up with a better search engine. And, and they, they have, right? They've succeeded. Fantastic. Gold star. But don't mistake that as being part of an altruistic uh, effort to, to come up with with a, you know, a, a, a general assistant.
0: Yeah, speaking of altruism, you recently posted a chart showing how the life expectancy in the U.S., Per dollar of health expenditure is poor and declining compared to many other countries. Tell, tell us about that.
1: Uh, yeah, so I've, I've heard about this for a while, but to see it in the chart really, really shocked me. Um, if you take um, all of the countries that you might call first world countries or you know, developed industrial economies, whatever. Uh, throughout the world. And that, of course, includes, uh, you know, North American countries, European countries, several Asian countries. Um, You will observe that as time passes, um, the life expectancy in these countries rises. Okay, it doesn't rise, you know, rapidly, but it has increased from your expectation to live to roughly 70 years uh, of age Uh, 20 more years ago to nowadays over 80 years uh, of of age today. So your life expectancy has increased. Now, we have to understand life expectancy is measured as the average age of people who die, Um, which means that the age that you can expect to live to is actually greater than the life expectancy. Okay, so that's a slight misnomer here. Um, So, uh, of the audience that is listening to the podcast, you probably have access to good health insurance and you probably live in an industrialized country. Your actual expectancy of your lifetime is probably more like 100. Um, So you you always have to uh, see who's lying to you with what statistics, right? so, if you want a good book, uh, as you were mentioning, Alec, uh, like "How to Lie with Statistics" is the best book ever um, to understand some of these things that are coming at you from government and, and other uh, other areas. The second parameter to look at is how much money you pay for this. Um, obviously, the thing that extends your life is the healthcare system. Um, it, it, it does that not just by curing life-threatening diseases, but it does that through supplying you with relatively uh, basic health care throughout your healthy years so that those get stretched out um, and so investing in health care while you're still healthy and then investing something in health care as, as you begin to get sick is very important and so it makes a lot of sense to look at the relationship between health care expenditure and length of life Now very important sentence to say here is that as we look at this we're looking at this on a country-wide perspective right we're not looking at it on an individual basis right the choices that I make for myself knowing what I know no we're talking about on a systemic level for an entire country uh, tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people looking at it that way every country in the industrialized West has an increasing life expectancy at a very very small increasing expenditure with the exception of the United States the United States increases a, its expenditure at a much faster rate not only is it higher it, ex- it gets higher at a much greater rate than every other industrialized nation and in return for this greater expenditure, we are getting a lesser expectancy of life. Not only lesser relative to the other countries, lesser to our own country. Your life expectancy is going down as, as time goes on. Now, this is a life expectancy for the entire country of the United States, not for you individually, and this has to do largely with uh, the insurance system. Um, a large number of Americans, almost one half, do not have health insurance. They don't have a bad health insurance, or like a health insurance that doesn't cover some things. They don't have health insurance, period. That's something to, 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 to think about. Um, uh, virtually every other um, industrialized country supplies health insurance to everyone, usually administered by the government and not by private industry. Um, and that's also why those countries are able to deliver health care um, at a much lower cost um, because, you know, things like pharmaceuticals are, um, you know, financially administrated, not by you or the doctor or the hospital or the health insurance system, but by the government. And so the government, of course, purchases the pharmaceuticals in, in much greater quantities, can negotiate different deals, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Bottom line is that the healthcare system in the United States is, financially speaking, broken.
0: Wow, that's going to be a topic for another podcast. So, you mentioned uh, one of my favorite books, How to Lie with Statistics. Uh, another great one, especially if you're uh, thinking about risk management or, or trying to imagine what could happen in the future, is Manias, Panics and, and Crashes by Kindleberger. Very interesting. So um, switching gears a little bit here, uh, you talked about the military. Um, I think it's really important for us to think about the potential ethical policy and regulatory challenges for artificial intelligence over the next few years. So we've seen things in the media about, you know, artificial intelligence driven drone, military drone swarms and things like that. So what are your your thoughts?
1: Um, Status today, uh, is that many different countries um, have released recently or are about to release regulations around AI? Um, so, the truth of the matter is that this is the Wild West at this moment in time. Um, none of these regulations are old, um, none of these regulations are tested in the market in the market of the economics of AI, in the market of the courtroom, um, in the market that uh, is the international um, you know, economics of AI, because as soon as I invent an AI, it, it sits in the cloud and everybody can access it, and it's never any more a nation-state kind of a thing. It's an international law kind of a thing. And if you look at the regulations that are coming out of various countries, they are very uncoordinated and and none of them none of them pays heed to the fact that this is necessarily an international topic Um, so i look at several european countries the european union as a as a larger entity i look at canada the united states i look at china and japan all of these countries have released regulations um, to do with A.I. that are all younger than one year uh, from look, looking back from today um, they are all concerned with what happens within their borders um, and it's a mess uh, so just trying to understand what these regulations say uh, what they intend and what the reality might be if you either do or don't adhere to them, right? What, what's the punishment? What, what's the consequence, right? Uh, is there a legal system in place to actually check whether or not you are, you are um, in, in compliance or not? And if I am a company that, for example, has their research department in the United Kingdom, their servers in, I don't know, Russia, um their customers everywhere around the world and their data has originally come from China. What regulations apply to me? Um, I, I don't even know. And how do I find out which law firm will give me a, a letter that says you are in fact compliant? Um, I think the answer is nobody will do any of these things and nobody will fully understand this stuff. And so to some extent, um, this is still today a lawless realm. It's the Wild West, and I think it'll take a number of years and a lot of cooperation between, at the very minimum, the industrialized Western countries and some of the not-so-Western countries that are important in this game, and that the, the prime two countries, of course, are going to be China and Russia. Um, that will have to somehow participate in this uh, legal game. And then all of these countries combined will have to come up with a scheme that technical people can understand of how this is going to actually be administrated. At the moment, it's all pretty much aspirational.
0: Wow. So, speaking of the Wild West, our, our- Next segment in the show, roughly the last five minutes, is what we call underrated or overrated. So I will name something, and then, Patrick, you will tell me whether you think it's underrated or overrated and why. So let's kick it off with American football, underrated or overrated? Overrated. And uh, and any reason why, or...?
1: Well, as, as, as a European, I would have to point out that it's not even uh, football. Um, it's uh, it's uh, rugby with protection. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, it's only played in the United States, so it's, um, it's a very regional um, sport.
0: Alan Turing, underrated or overrated?
1: Underrated. Um, that was a, a wonderful uh, genius in the history of mathematics. Um, he, uh, you know, essentially won the Second World War, um, you know, somewhat single-handedly. Um, he uh, laid down the foundations of computing, um, right, and uh, to 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 some extent, uh, artificial intelligence. He invented the, the, obviously the Turing test that's named after him. Um, so his his life's work is uh, is really exemplary. San
0: Francisco, underrated
1: or overrated? Uh, overrated. Um, San Francisco is not the Silicon Valley. The Silicon Valley is centered in San Jose in the southern end of the Bay, Bay Area. And uh, San Francisco in the last uh, couple of years during and, and post-pandemic has really declined.
0: University College of London, where you got not one, but two degrees, underrated or overrated?
1: Of course, it's underrated. It is far better than than its name. Now, uh, UCL is one of the top ten universities in the entire world uh, by uh, you know all sorts of university rankings that I did not make. Um, so it's it's objectively up there with uh, colleges in the U.S. like Stanford. Um, it is somewhat less known, um, but uh, tremendous institution. So if if you're you know in, in search for a good university to go to, um, UCL is excellent in in every way, um, and compared to American colleges, it comes at a bargain price.
0: Next would be adventure travel underrated or overrated?
1: Oh, that is underrated as well. I love adventure travel. Um, I, I like mountains and hiking and climbing and trekking and things like that and It really frees up uh, the mind and creative ideas come to me uh, when the body is exhausted.
0: Explainable AI, we talked about earlier, underrated or overrated?
1: There's a lot of underrated here. Um, Explainable AI is uh, hyped up these days, but for excellent reasons. Um, So it is underrated. Uh, More attention needs to be paid to it. Um, as an academic discipline so that we can actually build these systems Um, and as a social discipline as well because we need to enforce uh, the use of it in in more applications.
0: Artificial intelligence for market or investment risk management, underrated or overrated? Um,
1: I would put that as overrated. I think risk management um, necessarily looks at the atypical event, um, and AI is not good at that. Uh, So I would stick that more firmly in the human realm.
0: Autonomous vehicles, underrated or overrated?
1: Um, That's approximately correctly rated. There, right, not, not under or over. This is, this is a technology that, that as, as a technology, largely exists. It needs to be improved a little bit. And the primary thing that needs to be done is it needs to be scaled up so that real people can actually purchase an autonomous vehicle. So far, we're mostly just talking about it.
0: AI-generated art, underrated or overrated?
1: very very difficult topic in my mind it is overrated because i think that ai generated images are not art um but that is very much debatable and that debate is raging at this very moment um you can add uh, your your opinion uh, any of the audience members what you think of this um but it, currently a, a lot of the Uh, Creative people and creative um, organizations are filing lawsuits uh, against AI companies um, on this basis because they say you are using our uh, creative output to train an AI system to unemploy us, and that's not okay.
0: Quantum computing, underrated or overrated?
1: Oh, that is definitely overrated. That is... um, essentially a pipe dream um, so if if you look at um, the expenditure and the time that has been put into quantum computing with the results that we have today it's it's uh, almost a failure uh, they're still working on it of course and um, and it is you know slowly slowly making baby steps but it is comparable to nuclear fusion in the sense that people have been saying, oh, it's coming, oh, it's coming, and it, it's never coming. Um, also, theoretically speaking, we know that quantum computing can do an in principle better job than a regular computer only on a handful of, of tasks. Um, some of those tasks are not relevant to you know, the commercial world. Um, the primary one is decrypting encryptions, um, and that would be a damaging technology un- un- unless you're you're the military and you want to beat the other military. Um, so I don't see that as a very worthwhile investment.
0: The movie The Matrix
1: underrated my or overrated? Uh, uh, underrated. It's my favorite movie of all time. Um, wow. Uh, the, the, the Matrix is is wonderful. So, in, in addition to being an AI guy, I'm a, I'm a Buddhist, um, and uh, so that movie I think portrays very well uh, this this view of the world that you live in an illusory uh, world, and the, the the real world requires some some form of waking up. Um, and I am very much afraid that if the metaverse does come at some point, and I'm, I'm sure that it will, the metaverse is not going to happen in the next five years, but it will happen at some point, um, then people will be in this position uh, of being hooked up to a make-believe world um, that is not real. Um, and so that, that danger uh, is, is uh, on the horizon. The danger that we have already today is that AI-generated misinformation um, will increasingly cause you to live in a world uh, where you're being exposed to information that's just plain wrong, and that's been brought to you uh, by some kind of malicious intent to get you to do something like elect somebody in a democracy or like you know support the uh, the war effort somewhere. Um, And uh, that is not a decision that you would have made if you had the actual facts in front of you. Um, So I think um, a kind of non-metaverse propaganda machine is accelerating at a rapid pace right now. And so to some extent, the matrix is already a reality today.
0: Wow, that's pretty amazing. This has been an amazing interview. Thank you. So great to catch up with you, Patrick. And uh, again, that was Patrick Bangert, who is the vice president of strategic business for Samsung and one of the top 10 influential leaders in artificial intelligence and big data by CIO Look magazine. Thank you, Patrick.
1: Thank you, Alec. It was wonderful to be here.
0: You were listening to the Stay Podcast. You can listen anywhere you listen to podcasts. For example, Apple Podcasts. Please like, subscribe, and comment. And you can also find us on stayblog.substack.com. Thanks.